Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. In the busyness of this season, I don't want you to miss that in a couple weeks we have a marriage retreat here at RPC. If you or uh, some of your friends want to join us, you can sign up on the church website. It promises to be a powerful, powerful time. And then we also have a couple weeks left that you can uh, give any uh, unmet pledging that you have to fill in. We have about $230,000 that we need to bring in to meet our budget over the next couple weeks. So I invite you to do that. And if you want to be generous uh, at the end of the year, no one's going to turn you away. So um, that'd be really great uh, to join us there. We've looked at the gifts of Advent this year. Looked at hope. Looked at peace. Last week we looked at love. And today we look at joy. What is distinctive about a Christian view of joy? The passage we're going to read is from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. It's this great eschatological vision, apocalyptic vision, about how things will be different when the Messiah comes and the future the Messiah points to. When God reconciles all things to himself. So let us look at Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the good news that Isaiah points to. We ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might teach us the difference between pleasure, the difference between happiness, and the difference of true joy. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When was the last time you experienced True joy. I'm not what they call a sneakerhead, but I, I really do like sneakers. 
And a couple months ago, I came into the office wearing some sneakers. The ones actually I have on today, they're called Yeezys. They're made by Adidas. Aren't they beautiful? <laughs> and so I come walking into the office, and the per first person I see is Lindsay Slocum. And as you know, Reverend Slocum has a lot of opinions about shoes. So when she sees me walking in, she says, wow, those shoes. Now she says it with the tone of voice, I'm not really sure what she means. Is she asking a question? What are those shoes you're wearing? Is she giving a compliment? I doubt it. <laughs> wow, those are cool-looking shoes. Is she criticizing my taste? Wow, what are you doing in those shoes? So I begin to describe to her what they feel like. I said, Lindsay, have you ever seen one of those pictures where like the koala bear is like hugging a tree and he's like just nestling up there and snuggling and just looks so cute. That's how my feet feel. <laughs> and she says, oh, where'd you get them? I said, I won them. She said, really? What contest did you win them in? I said, well, more accurately, I won the opportunity to buy them. <laughs> she said, Jeff. There's a big difference between winning them and winning the opportunity to buy them. I was like, Lindsay, stop stealing my joy. Over the next few days, a lot of us are going to feel a sense of joy. We're going to give gifts, we're going to receive gifts, and they're given to us to help us feel valued, appreciated, loved. We're going to feel a sense of of joy. But we have to be very careful that we do not confuse pleasure and happiness with joy. The Christian tradition is very clear on this point. Pleasure and happiness should not be confused with joy. You see, pleasure is what you feel in your body. That's pleasure. Happiness it's what you feel with your emotions and your feelings, but joy is what you feel in your soul. When everything else is stripped away in the heart of yourself, the deepest part of yourself, that's where you experience joy. See, with my sneakers, I feel pleasure wearing them. It feels like I'm tiptoeing on clouds. I feel happiness. When I'm sitting at my desk, sometimes I just think to myself, oh, there's there sneakers at home under the bed, safe, waiting for me to come home. I feel happiness, but I have to be very careful not to confuse happiness and pleasure with joy. Because I know ev eventually my sneakers are going to wear out. It'll no longer feel like I'm walking on Clouds, I'll be walking on cardboard. I know eventually I'm going to spill coffee on them. I won't be pleased. I won't feel happy. But will I still be able to feel joy in my soul? When we confuse 
joy with pleasure or happiness can be deeply troubling to our lives. But human beings have a tendency to do so. The great Reformed theologian John Calvin once said, the human heart is an idol factory. What does he mean? He says, human beings have a tendency to invest infinite value in finite things. He says, we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And we try to fill it up with pleasure, pleasurable experiences, things that make us happy, but it can never fill up an infinite void. Only God can do that. Only God, offered in Jesus Christ, can help us experience deep joy. Now, not everyone agrees with this view of things. One of probably the most famous and influential views comes from the founder of psychoanalysis. His name is Sigmund Freud. He believed that spiritual joy was a substitute for sexual pleasure. So he believed that like people would try to become saints because they were sexually frustrated. Says because we can't have our sexual desires met that we will turn to God. He was no fan of Christianity. But I think, and while I've learned a lot from Freud, I think he's got it exactly opposite, wrong. He should have read the 13th century theologian Thomas Aquinas, one of the most influential theologians of the church, who wrote this, no one can live without joy. That is why a person deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. See, when we confuse joy with happiness or pleasure, we think that we can find joy in stuff, in finite things, but it'll never make us joyful. We can only find and receive joy as a gift of God's grace. And this is what Isaiah in our passage today is pointing to. That God wants to break in, in the Messiah, and at the end of all things, to bring deep gladness, deep joy. When we'll experience the glory of the Lord, he says. The blind will receive sight. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. His speech culminates with these words. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We'll experience everlasting joy. Seeking joy in finite things, though, will never never lead to true joy, but so often, it's so easy to do so. There's a famous author named David Foster Wallace. He wrote an essay about this point, although he wasn't a Christian. The essay is called, A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. <laughs> and it's about his experience going on a celebrity cruise line. In the essay, he analyzes his experience, he, and he makes a kind of a meditation on the nature of human desire and pleasure. You see, he's reading one of celebrities' brochures, and their slogan is this, your pleasure is our business. Your pleasure is our business. And they promise to meet all of your desires when you're on the cruise line. As you go on this cruise, all of your desires will be met. And so he experiences, he's on the cruise, and Towards the middle of the week, he's looking at the brochure, and he begins to reflect. He writes, 
We are now in a position to appreciate the lie at the dark heart of celebrities' brochure. For this, the promise to sate or satiate or to satisfy, the promise to satisfy the part of me that always and only wants is the central fantasy the brochure is selling. The thing to notice is that the real fantasy here isn't that this promise will be kept, but that such a promise is keepable at all. This is a big one, this lie. See, Wallace sees the cruise ship as a metaphor for our pleasure-obsessed culture. We promise marketing and advertising to, to meet all of our desires. The problem is, is once we meet one desire, our desires grow a little bigger. It's inevitable. So Wallace is on the cruise line, and by the end of the week, he says, you know, the, the ship's full of five-star restaurants, but you know what? I was at, at dinner, and the, and the busboy didn't get all the crumbs off the table. What kind of five-star restaurant is this? Said the maid makes his bed and he comes in and he notices he's really dissatisfied. There are a few wrinkles on the comforter. What about meeting all of, of my desires? I thought my pleasure was your business. But he recognizes the fact if we just seek pleasure and happiness, our desires continue to expand and grow. We will never find them fully satisfied until we seek true joy, deep joy. So this is one of the responses, one of the things we need to do in regards to happiness and pleasure is sometimes we need to say no to ourselves. We need to say no to ourselves. One of the great illustrations of this comes in the book, one of my favorite books is A Severe Mercy. It's written by Sheldon Van Auken. Sheldon fell in love with Davy. They were in Oxford. And they had a passionate love for each other, a deep relationship and they created what they called the shining barrier. It's this concept that nothing could get beyond the barrier. Nothing would come between them. They would be totally and wholeheartedly dedicated to each other. One summer they ended up buying a uh, sports, sports car convertible. They loved this car. The thing was is when Davy would be at home and Sheldon would be out driving the car, she would sit at home worrying. Is he going to drive it too fast? What if he scratches it? What if he gets in a wreck? When he was at home and Davy was driving it, he began worried. Is she going to drive it too fast? What if she scratches it? What if she gets it in a wreck? And eventually the car comes between them, becomes a source of anxiety, a source of worry. They begin to value the car more than each other. Sheldon realizes what he must do. Goes to his closet, gets a baseball bat out, goes down to the driveway, and proceeds to put a large dent in the hood. He says, now no one can scratch it. He had to put it in its proper place. They thought he could fill up joy, but it had to go back to pleasure and happiness. It had to be put in its proper place. This is one of the reasons we tithe, to remind ourselves that our wealth, our money, cannot bring us joy. It can bring happiness, it can bring pleasure, that's fine. But don't kid yourself, it'll never bring you joy. It's one of the reasons 
practice Sabbath for rest. To remind ourselves that our work is never going to bring us joy. Hopefully it'll bring us pleasure, hopefully it'll bring us happiness, but it will never bring us joy. So one of the reasons we give gifts at Christmas to point to the great gift given to us in Jesus Christ. These little gifts will bring us happiness, they'll please us, but they will never bring us joy. See, everyone wants pleasure, everyone wants happiness, and at an even deeper level, everyone wants joy. Many people, when they experience this kind of joy, it comes as a big surprise to them. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, Christian writer, grew up outside of Belfast. He had an idyllic and comfortable boyhood up until the age of nine. At the age of nine, his mom died of cancer. And he would always look back later in life to those first nine years of his life. He'd always want to, want to get back to the, what he felt back then. He was moved from boarding school to boarding school. Eventually, he became under the influence of Bertrand Russell, the famous atheist, became an atheist himself. Luckily, he read widely. He came across the two Christian writers, George MacDonald and G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton was famous for saying this, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. And that is the secret that Lewis discovers. He discovers that joy. Comes to Christian faith, trusts Christ with his life. Ends up titling his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. I thought this was going to be a source of shame, agony, anxiety, and I found the surprise of joy. Sometimes, it can t- take dramatic ev- events to remind us of this fact. During my first year in seminary, my family went through a really tough month. My dad called me one day and he said, Jeff, I've got bad news. He said, the company I've worked for for 40 years has forced me into early retirement. I've been laid off. I said, I'm so sorry. My dad had saved up his entire life, done everything he was supposed to do, looking forward to his retirement, but it came early. He was disappointed, but he took the retirement funds he had and gave to his financial investor. About a little over a week after that, I got another phone call from my dad. He said, Jeff, I've got more bad news. I've been diagnosed with prostate cancer. We were so scared, devastated worried. About a week after that, my dad called me again. He says, Jeff, I've got more bad news. The FBI called me today. And you know that financial investor that had been investing our retirement funds for over 20 years? Well, he was running a Ponzi scheme, and the funds are gone. And I said, Dad, are you okay? My dad said, Jeff, you know, I've realized that I've put some less important things at the center of my life. And I've been sitting here over the last hour at my desk. I've looked at the picture of our family on my desk. I've been praying. And I've realized that I need to put God back at the center. 
See, when our health is stripped away, when our, when our wealth is stripped away, can we still experience true joy? If we're satisfied with pleasure, if we just limit ourselves to happiness, we will never experience the true joy that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. And so this week, we will all give and receive gifts at Christmas. They will make us happy. We will be pleased, but don't confuse yourself for a second. They will not bring true joy. They are simply a sign and a symbol of that great gift given to us in Jesus Christ to bring us a gift of Advent. And that gift is joy. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great gift of Advent. Lord, may you guide us, remind us, not confuse happiness and pleasure with the joy offered in your Son. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.